Welcome back to another episode of Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. <laughs> and I'm your mummified host, Javi. Javier. Javier, the, the guy. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, this week, we are actually reviewing The the Mummy. The 1999 movie by Scott Summer. I think it's Scott Summer. Stephen yeah. Summers. I was about to make a whole joke about, this is The Mummy, not to be confused with The Mummy. Or the new movie that came out, The Mummy. I fucking hate you, first of all, <laughs> for thinking that. Second of all, you're right. This is like a re re. Well, this would have been a reboot of a series that has been rebooted twice before. And yeah, we're not talking about the Tom Cruise one. I heard that one was shit. So, I mean, we're probably going to watch it at some point to like compare and contrast to this one. And we're probably going to watch the one from 1932, the original Mummy, at some point. But that's probably further down the line. Today we're talking about one that's very close to my heart because of my huge man crush on Brendan Fraser. And we're talking about the 1999 film, The Mummy. <laughs> so, oh yeah, go ahead. So Brendan Fraser, yeah, you are a big fanboy of his. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, right now, currently, he's actually making his grand comeback on uh, DC Universe's show, Doom Patrol. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I wanted to watch this movie, is because I, w I started watching Doom Patrol again. Which, if you guys have the DC Universe uh, app, definitely recommend, hard recommend. If you don't, hit me up, I'll send you guys my link, and I'll <laughs> send you everything, because I really want people to watch this. Because I really want, this to be, there, want there to be a season two of this show. But, yeah, um, he's just, uh-oh, technical difficulties. So, Brendan Fraser is a very lovable character. He plays this scumbag named Cliff Steele, and he's a big old robot guy. And when I was watching the show, I was like, holy crap, like, I forgot how good Brendan Fraser was. And luckily, I just happened to be on Netflix right after I saw Doom Patrol, and I saw him on here. And I realized, like, Brennan Fraser reminds me a lot of Chris Pratt. Like he was doing the the type of Chris Pratt characters before uh Chris Pratt became a thing, you know? Like he he has that lovable goofball look to him, plus he's like this action hero, so it's just something about him. You're like, oh man, like he, he looks like just a fun guy and he's making all these fun movies. He was in George of the Jungle, Dudley Do Right. Looney Tunes back in action, a bunch of other shit. So he's just a really likable guy. Yeah, my introduction to him was actually George of the Jungle. Because <laughs> I love the cartoon. <laughs> and when I found out they were making a live action version of it, I I couldn't picture him as the star of that movie. But he actually is. It, it's actually one of my favorite Brendan Fraser star vehicles. Yeah, and you know... He was very popular maybe in the late 90s going into the mid to early to mid aughts and then he kind of fell off. He did a couple he did a couple of like side projects, but unfortunately he never really picked up. Um, you know, I think it was in this movie uh, you know, he didn't really do much outside of the uh of the of the mummy franchise like especially during the mid aughts. Um uh, and part of that is due to he actually used to do a lot of his own stunts. 
And specifically in this movie, we'll talk about how he almost fucking died making this movie. But um, he, he, you know, he had to get like a hip replacement. He had like, like a herniated disc. He had back problems. Unfortunately, now he's put on a lot of weight and he doesn't really look like the old monkey uh, no. Brendan <laughs> Fraser from 99. No, sweet Jesus. When I saw him in Doom Patrol, I just... I had sadness that kind of flowed over me. And it kind of reminds me a lot of, like, when you watch the old Superman movies uh, from, you know, the old Richard Donner Superman. And then you see, like, how beautiful, like, Margot Kidder was as Lois Lane. And then you just kind of see what, like, you know, unfortunately, because she she suffered from bipolar disorder. She also had, like, a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And, uh... A lot of you you know about what happened with Margot Kidder, right? Now what happened? So Margot Kidder ends up like, you know, going off her meds or something. She had some sort of mental breakdown, uh, where she like started pulling her own teeth. Ooh. And, uh, so it's like if you watched Halloween two, the Rob Zombie one, she's actually in that movie. That's right. She plays she, a therapist. Yeah. She's wearing dentures, and it's oh, so God. obvious. So it is unfortunate. Like sometimes when you see actors or actresses that were very beautiful when they were young, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, the years have not been kind to them. But, you know, thankfully, for at least for Brendan Fraser, it's like, you know, it's... it's he got, he, he got like, Marlon it's not, Brando. It's, yeah, it's not, it's not anything as serious as what happened to Marco, is what uh, I'm saying. I'm telling you, he's like Marlon Brando, who got fat for Apocalypse Now. <laughs> and just and, never went back. And then it was like, fuck it, I'm fat now. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, so my first experience with this movie, uh, I'm going to dedicate this episode to my dad because, holy shit, I watched this movie a lot when I was a kid. This was back when uh, when the Lopez household had those pirate par- uh, pay-per-view boxes. <laughs> so, I swear to God, fucking, I made, like, there would be some weekends where I would watch The Mummy easily, like, six, seven times that weekend, and my dad would get furious. He's like, we're fucking watching The Mummy again? (laughs) And I would, like, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's a great movie! And my dad would get fucking furious, but he would still watch it with me until one weekend he, like, ripped the box (laughs) (laughs) and he took it upstairs so he could watch something. (laughs) Because I swear to God, I would, I fucking love that movie. And I think the reason why I loved it is because it was a it was supposed to be a horror movie. And in, yeah, like I told you when we were watching, there were some parts that scared me. But it was my first introduction to a like a different type of horror movie cuz it's a fun action adventure movie too. Like it's very much in the vein of Indiana Jones. So to see a movie that blended something that I was afraid of but with something I loved, I was very much super into it, you know. Well, that's the interesting thing. Like, this movie, like, I was reading, you know, and it's Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt, I guess. But, you know, a lot of the origins of this movie were in horror. So this movie, like, originally goes into production with producers James Jacks and Sean Daniel. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to essentially do a remake of the 1932 Mummy yeah. uh, from, from the Universal Monster movies. Now... Okay, this movie, I'm not going to be as big a fanboy of it as you are. Oh, fuck no, you're not. <laughs> no, but I mean, just just in because to me, like, my favorite... I just love the Universal Horror movies. I have yeah. such a love for them. So, Dracula, Frankenstein, um, you know, The Wolfman. Uh, the Mummy was actually the one I didn't watch a lot of. 
The Invisible Man I watched a lot of. Creature of the Black Lagoon. <laughs> Creature of the Black Lagoon yeah. I had seen. The original Fly with Vincent Price I had seen. Even though that one's from the 60s, so yeah, it's a lot that older. One, that one's way older than um, the rest. But, you know, there's, there's... When you remake a classic Universal monster movie, it comes with varying degrees of success. <laughs> you know, because in the 90s, it was this was actually following a trend that was pretty popular. Because early in the 90s, I think 92 is when Francis Ford Coppola decides to remake Dracula. Mm-hmm. And he does it with Gary Oldman yeah. <laughs> as Dracula. Uh, and then later, uh, a few years later, uh, Kenneth Branagh does, uh, he remakes Frankenstein with Robert De Niro's The Frankenstein yeah, Monster. Yeah, 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 I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, the point of this was to make this, like, you know, uh, as, as, uh, as much like the source material as possible for those books. To my knowledge, I don't think The Mummy is based on a novel. Not I, that I know I, of. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but interestingly enough, this movie actually takes a lot of the same the characters and story beats from the original movie. It's just, But yeah, the, the origins of this project, um, again, they were all in the horror vein. Um, the yeah. original director who was tied to this project, believe it or not, is Clive Barker. Yeah, I was about to say, like, imagine how fucking different this movie was if it had Clive Barker, like, at the helm instead of uh, Stephen Summers. Well, you know what's really funny? Like, I'm not sure how long it's been since you've watched Hellraiser. It's been a while. It's been... Uh, I think I watched it when I was in high school, and even so, then I saw, like, the shitty-ass sequels. Yeah, so, you know, in, Hellra- in Hellraiser, everyone, of course, remembers Pinhead. Like, he is mm-hmm. the... He's the Michael Myers, um, nah, you know, Freddy Krueger. <laughs> like, you know, like, they're the, the monsters from the movie. But the actual movie itself revolves around a character named Frank, mm-hmm. you know, who is uh, who is basically like... God, we need to watch it one of these days. Because uh, it just... Basically, it the, the main character in the movie is someone who's kind of slowly composing... From a hut, from like you know nothing, mm-hmm. and you see him kind of come together in terms of like body parts and stuff like that. It's really gross, right? Oh, that sounds familiar. Exactly. <laughs> so it's like it, 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 like when I watch this movie because I you have a history with it. I just don't have that history with mm-hmm. it. I didn't watch it when it came out. Um, I saw the movie years ago, and I was really into wrestling. So of course I ended up watching Mummy too because. The Rock I was wonder in it. why. Yeah, because The Rock was in it, you know. And I never watched Scorpion King after that. I just only watched him in The Mummy Returns. Good call. Man. So that might have been the only one that I that I really remember from the series. I, I have passing memories of some of this stuff I've seen here. But like Exorcist 2, it's just, it's something where, until I watch it for this podcast, I probably wouldn't be able to pick out any, like, story beats or anything like that. Yeah, um, for sure. But yeah, no, Frank in Hellraiser is actually, you know... His his lover has to kill people to kind of help put him back together. And it's just, you know, I, I highly have to recommend it. And to be honest, I think we should watch it at some point for the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Clive Barker seems like an excellent choice for this. Once I've actually now seen the movie and see what they want to do with the titular mummy character. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at some point, he, he you know, I guess his version was considered too violent and maybe too gruesome yeah because the big selling point is i think the studio really wanted to keep this a pg-13 movie and they wanted to keep it like not not necessarily family friendly but you know they wanted to keep it for a wider audience Mm -hmm. 
Because they really wanted, you know, the most people possible to enjoy this movie. And as much as I would love to have watched a Clive Barker version of this movie, like, you know, it's also not the movie I would have enjoyed when I was nine years old, eight, nine years old, you know? Well, the other directors considered for this project was a uh, deep, uh, you know, they, they were considering some sort of deep version of this movie directed by Joe Dante, mm-hmm. who is famous for uh, Gremlins and... Uh, <gasps> He's also done... There's other films that he's done in his canon, but I just can't think of them right now. Uh, they tried to do a zombie version of it with George A. Romero as, mm-hmm. a, as one of the directors. So this is just one of those projects that kind of kicked around in Hollywood for a long... Like Spider-Man, right? It's yeah, like, kind of reminds like me of. It's just like... It, it's a property that was bought up by producers. You know, cause now, now it doesn't happen. Studios own properties now. And, mm-hmm. and if it had any kind of sequel, any kind of cachet or anything, the studio will buy it, the studio will own it. And uh, they will be the ones producing it. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, this is it's very old school Hollywood that the producers of this kind of drove this um, there. I know that one of the guys who <clears throat> who wrote an original script for this, not the one they ended up using, but a proposed script was John was John Sales, mm-hmm. um, and he I, I can't I don't I've, I don't know if I've seen any project that he's actually that he's actually written, but I've heard his name because he was one of the guys who wrote a script for Jurassic Park 4. And his script is actually, like, one of the ones that was closest to being made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which was, like, the one with, like, the hybrid dinosaur, like, you know, human being, like, things. Oh, yeah! I would have <laughs> killed for that! Uh, so, you know, it, it, again, this project kicked around for a long time. Um, I don't want to get too far into other stuff. It's, but, you know... It's... Oh, he worked on The Howling. That's pretty cool. Joe Dante? Yeah, no, uh, John Sales. John Sales, yeah. Yeah, John Sales. He, you know, he he was he wrote the early draft for ET, so he did some stuff. So Stephen <laughs> Summers gets attached as a director, and the studio wants to go in the direction of turning this into a new Indiana Jones movie, and that or an Indiana Jones esque like type of adventure movie. So that's what we get. So the movie or the film begins with a. <laughs> with a recap of what happened i think sometime in the year i don't know like 3000 bc like before jesus christ our lord and savior came to save us or some shit uh but oh i'm sorry 1290 bc i'm such an idiot but um it starts with the high priest emotep who Served under, I think, Pharaoh, whatever, Pharaoh Seti or something like that. Mm. And pretty much, this is about Emotep and Anaxuna Moon bumping uglies in ancient Egypt. So, Anaxuna Moon was Emotep's like forbidden lover who was actually promised to the Pharaoh. But he treated her like an object and she loved Emotep. So they used to, you know, slide into the DMs on the regs behind the the pharaohs. Uh... Oh God, you sound like an old person trying to be hip. <laughs> yeah, aren't I awesome? No. Yeah, hello, fellow. How do you do, fellow children? <laughs> hello, fellow millennials. Of yours, children. <laughs> <laughs> do you guys remember Tamagotchis? <laughs> so anyway. So one too many times they find out, or you know, the Pharaoh finds out about uh, about Nox and the Moon and Emotep bumping uglies. So 
he, as he calls them out, they create this, you know, they have this master plan to kill the Pharaoh. And right after they kill the Pharaoh, Imhotep is escape or escapes and Anaxuna Moon ends up killing herself because she no longer belongs to the Pharaoh or something like that. Anyway, uh, what's his name? Imhotep is condemned to death and he is condemned to the worst kind of death. The one where you're mummified alive. Yeah. And not only was he mummified alive, he was given a shit ton of these weird man-eating scarabs. Oh, fuck, yeah. Thrown into the sarcophagus along with him where he was going to get eaten alive for the rest of his life. Alright, so I know this is CGI in terrible 1999 CGI, but I think it's just the fact that you're like burying someone alive in a coffin... And you're just going to put all these bugs in it. They're going to eat their flesh. There's something very terrifying about that. Um, oh, just just the act. Like, it, it, nothing is more frightening than someone putting you in a, in, in a tomb and burying you underground. Like, there's, you know, if you ever watch, like, uh, Serpent in the Rainbow, like, the old Wes Craven movie with Bill Pullman in it, where he's, like, you know, where that, where it's, like, all about, like, these like voodoo priests and stuff like that that they that like these shamans that would give you like medicine and that that would uh basically make you appear to be dead even though you're actually oh, alive oh i know which one you're talking about mm. the one about the yeah the voodoo priest and he's in haiti and he comes back like as a quote-unquote zombie yeah but he's actually like in a i remember those yeah, yeah so it's like that kind of stuff and then more recent, not recently, but, you know, more in the last decade, um, the 2010 movie with uh, with Ryan Reynolds. Uh, Buried? Buried. Oh, that one was good. That's a that's a hard watch. Um, like, yeah, it's like, it, you know, just it, it just plays on a perfect fear that I, I'm pretty sure that I'm, a lot of people have, right? This combines two primal fears, and one is being eaten alive, because I'm pretty sure no one wants to feel the pain of being eaten. And yep. two, the fear of being, like, tied up and in an enclosed space. Like, I remember reading when after we were prepping, you know, while we were prepping for this movie, for the podcast, like, apparently Arnold Vuzlu, the guy that plays Emotep, was tied up for four hours so that they can pull off this scene. Like, the, the montage of them being tied up, and, or them being mummified and uh, him and his priest being buried. So he, like, apparently freaked the fuck out and had an anxiety attack from this. Because, And, I mean, it's well-deserved. Who wants to be tied up for four fucking hours? Yeah, for sure. So this introduces us to our movies and my favorite hero. You know, I think he's, like, a lieutenant for the French Foreign Legion. But Lieutenant Rick O'Connell, who is the, the punchiest, you know, awesomest american guy to ever american his way through non-america <laughs> i don't know why like maybe just because i was thinking about this movie recently like randomly for no reason at all but god he just reminds me of like brad pitt's character in inglorious bastards really like, the, well no just in that like it's a trope right oh yeah, like, yeah it's yeah, the yeah. classic american like in an older part of the in older part of the world and it's just like his whole thing is, well, I'm just over here to do this. And, I'm just know. here to punch Nazis, and I'm just here to punch mummies. <laughs> yeah. The only one would be better is if Brendan Fraser had, like, a southern accent. 
Or um, like Chris, or like Chris Pine in Wonder Woman too, right? Like it's just it is. It oh is, yeah, it yeah. is a trope of like the good old boy kind of out in the world yeah. fucking shit up for America. <laughs> yeah, and that's very much what he is. He's just like so. He it, it's said that he's supposed to be a great war, or you know, at this point, World War One, like that. But he's a guy that keeps wanting to fight, so he joins the for- the French Foreign Legion. <laughs> I love watching movies that take place around World War One, and we're so used to calling it World War One. That like it's like no at this time it was they they you know in, in this movie it's the Great War, and then in Wonder Woman like uh, Chris Pine actually like you know he he calls it the War to End All Wars, which is what and they you're also just like it. ew oh what you got coming buddy, it's like nobody tell these guys that there was another one twenty years later. Yeah, well it's funny just like our our our. our you know, I'm not going to get too political and deep on this, but it's just oh, no, like, not at all. war in general has changed so much what? in this country. You want to get political and deep on The Mummy? <laughs> <laughs> the most political and deep movie ever? <laughs> so it's really, so pretty much Rick O'Connell is just like you were saying. He's your, he's a pulp comic book hero. Like, that's what he is. He's an adventurer. If he was... Uh, you know, he he would be on one of those great outdoorsman short stories, you know, he's like Rainsford from the most dangerous game. He's just like a man's man. Mm-hmm. And it's never explained what he why they're fighting here in Thebes or in the City of the Dead. But we also get introduced to his sidekick, I guess. Sidekick turned villain Benny. Yeah. So, they're fighting off a bunch of brown people in the middle of the desert. <laughs> as you do. As you tend to in this time. And, you know, eventually O'Connell's men get overrun. Everyone runs away. Benny uh, leaves uh, Rick O'Connell for dead. And at this point, he's dead to rights. These, I don't know what what they call them, I guess the... What, what non-offensive name can I give these, these you know, fodder in the beginning, right? Sand uh, troopers? <laughs> <laughs> but they're sand. I'm not calling them sand. I, I can't call them stormtroopers, can I? <laughs> I know. No, no. That, I guess that works. So anyway, it, these guys, they have Rick O'Connell cornered and they're about to kill him. But then something scares him away. So, I, you know, he he travels the he travels in the, in the desert not knowing what scared these people away. But he manages to, to escape, right? And over a ridge, we see these guys on horses dressed in black saying that the desert will take care of them. So automatically foreshadowing, right? So now we are introduced to our lovable losers, Jonathan. Jonathan, I forgot what their last name is. But, and, you know, the very nerdy uh, librarian named Evie. So they are twins and they are both, well... Jonathan is like a treasure hunter, and Evie is an Egyptologist. And what she really wants to do is she wants to be an archaeologist. She wants to, like, I guess her parents were archaeologists. She wants to continue the family trade, and she wants to, you know, be this well-respected archaeologist and learn more about ancient Egypt. And Jonathan just wants to make a bunch of money. So, we, you know, we get introduced to them, you know, right from the moment that we're introduced to Evie. Like, you know, she, at first she's played off. Or she's played up to be, like, kind of a joke. At least it's in a fun way, you know? It's not really, like, ragging on her. It's just she's, she's, uh, she's, what's the word, clumsy. She not ends up, like, 
maybe within minutes of meeting her character, she knocks over a crap ton of like uh, these bookshelves with all these ancient texts. And the curator, uh, who I've seen in plenty of movies in the early aughts, but I, he's one of those guys that once you see him, you recognize him, but you won't know who he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes out and he talks about how he wishes he had anything but Evie, you know, and that the plagues of Egypt were way better compared to what, you know, to having Evie. So at this point, Jonathan shows Evie that he found this key. He found like the weird puzzle box, right? And when she starts playing with it, uh, the, the, the puzzle box like opens up and that's when she finds out it's a key. And inside there's a map. So as she starts looking at the map, she starts realizing that it is actually a map to the city of the dead, Hamunaptra. So she tries to show it to her curator and her curator starts like, you know, trying to brush her off that it's not real, right? Mm-hmm. And this is how you can tell it's an old like 90s movie. They do this they do this trope that I get so sick of. And it's funny to watch this movie and to see this movie do it so fucking like blatantly. And it's that, "Oh, we all know that story, but let me proceed to Explain it in great detail anyway. <laughs> well, I think a lot of movies, I mean, there's, it's, a lot of movies will do, like, clumsy exposition like that. Yeah, and, but... It, it's like, it's like watching Back to the Future, and it's like, the parents have, have probably told their, I mean, sure, their parents have probably told their kids a million times, like, how they met, but it's just such a coincidence that they choose the night that Marty's about to travel through time for the mom to tell that story. Oh, what's that? You're gonna meet your, like... Your old scientist friend who has an inappropriate relationship with you, Marty? <laughs> Let me remind you how I met your dad. <laughs> and that's exactly what it does. Jonathan's like, oh, we all know the story of Hamonatra, the city of the dead, which had more gold than any pharaoh knew what to do with it. <laughs> like, and I'm just like, yeah, I totally knew that. Stupid. <laughs> So, at this point, Curator ends up burning the map because he's like, oh, blah, you know, like, it does, it's not even real. But Evie and Jonathan are convinced that it's real. So they, you know, Jonathan hears about a guy. Now, Jonathan, he's in a lot of sleazy deals and he does a lot of, you know, back backroom gambling, stuff like that. So he finds out about this American guy who was actually at Hamunaptra and can vouch for the fact that Hamunaptra is real. So they want to go get this guy, and as it turns out, this is three years later. I believe it's supposed to be 1924 or something mm-hmm. like that. So this is three years after Rick O'Connell was fighting at, at Hamilton in the beginning of the movie. So we find out that he's been in prison for, we don't know for what, the prison warden only tells us that he had a very good time. And the prison warden is a weird mix between Jabba the Hutt and like Watto from from the Star Wars series, you know? Like he's just a total sleazy guy. Nothing about like I don't trust him. He's super weird. In fact, it kind of continues that stereotype of don't trust the Middle Eastern. Oh yeah. No, Star Wars is definitely does a lot of that racist stuff. There's parts of this where it's like, yeah, some of the some of the characters are like, "All right, calm the fuck down." But this is a 99, we, again, you know. This is 99. This is 2 years before 9/11 and literally all offensive stereotypes are targeted now towards Middle Easterns, which is unfortunate, but yeah, it's it's definitely cringy to watch it now with modern eyes. So they do this 
like they get into this bidding war, Evie and the Warden, over how much it would cost for them to buy out uh, O'Connell's uh, O'Connell's sentence, right? Because he's set to hang. Because he he's sentenced to death. So it makes you wonder what did he do <laughs> to make him like so hated, right? So when he, you know they put him in the noose, they put him on the the hangman's deck. And this is the scene where Brendan Fraser almost dies. Yeah, because <laughs> they end up, you know, he drops and he, you know, the 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 neck doesn't or his neck doesn't snap from the force of the rope. But what ends up happening in real life is that the rope starts choking Brendan Fraser out. So the entire time they're filming and they're you know doing their scene, Brendan Fraser is like asphyxiating. <laughs> And it, apparently it was so severe that they had to call in, like, ambulances and EMTs mm -hmm. had to, like, start doing, like, rescue breathing for him to regulate his heart and shit. So, he almost died filming this movie, which is, like, even more reason why I love this man. <laughs> but eventually, they, you know... Suffers for his art. Oh, that's for sure. You know who done... Who... who he, I, this is the only time... This podcast has the balls to say it. Brendan Fraser on par with Daniel Day-Lewis. What? Fight me. Yep. What? Suffer, both of them suffer for their art. Mm. I'll fight all of you. Suck my dick. Boom! I'm right. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, wasn't it like Rachel Wise who like was the only one who like, I guess, noticed that he was actually asphyxiating? It's, yeah. And she had to be like, you guys? And then everyone was like, no, nah, it's fine. <laughs> He's just a really good actor. No, it, it totally like just reminds me of just other movies where that kind of stuff... You know, stunts are dangerous. Yeah. Stunts are very dangerous. And there's a reason why most actors don't do it themselves, right? Yep. And it's it's even just, like, simple shit. Like, I mean, we're, like we were talking last week with Linda Blair and her horrible back after Exorcist 1, you know? Well, then, we're also wrestling fans, right? So we, we watch definitely guys like Dave Bautista and The Rock who, like, will make movies and then they'll come into... W Dave Bautista, who's... Also going to be in WrestleMania, by the way. Oh, yeah, I heard about Triple that. H. <laughs> but, you know, they, 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 it's funny. Like, I think The Rock in 2013 ended up coming to WWE to do a match where he, like, won the championship. He's the world champion. And he yeah. had a match with John Cena. And he actually, like, tore a labrum, like, during that yeah. match. And it ended up affecting some of his shooting projects mm -hmm. uh, to the point where where my understanding is that a lot of Dwayne Johnson's like movies now include in the contracts that he cannot be wrestling while they're filming. Because of the... <laughs> because of that like incident that happened. Was so, that when he filmed Hercules? I think so, yeah. Because that's when he yep. got stupid yoked, right? Yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, that sounded like an injury waiting to happen. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's definitely, you know, I, the man's... Brendan Fraser suffers for his art. I mean, yeah, he was committed. And there's a lot of guys that are committed to doing their own stunts. Is it smart? No. I think you should trust the people that know how to throw themselves downstairs without getting hurt. But you know what? More power to him, the fact that he was able to do that. So, yeah, uh, Rachel Wise, I'm sorry, uh, Evie, no, she's able to negotiate with the warden that they're going to do a 25-75 split for the, uh, pretty much anything they find at the dig, right? Yeah. If they all get to Helminoptra. So, they end up cutting them down, they set them free. So, it cuts to the next day, and everyone is, and by everyone, I mean, uh, Jonathan, Evie. Our three main characters. Our three main characters, Rick O'Connell. They all they all meet up to get on this riverboat on this riverboat to get over to Hominoptera. So they're going up the, the Nile. 
Mm. Um, <laughs> so they do the, this gimmick where, you know, when you see Rick in the in the uh, in the prison, he has a beard, he has crazy wild mountain man hair, and he's like, he does, you know, he kisses uh, Evie. And he's like, you want to know where Hominoptera is? Get me the hell out of here, right? <laughs> and then he kisses her because he's a big manly man. And it's like, no, that's assault, buddy. Yeah. Neither here nor there. <laughs> but, you know, then he, he cleans up very well. And Evie was like, oh, my loins. My loins are gordered. Oh, I have to kind of interject in here. If you hear some crying in the background, unfortunately. my It's my- a mummy. <laughs> it's a cat. We have to protect this from mummies. Unfortunately, my child is not very happy with us at the moment, so she is screaming with her mother. So I will, I will try to reduce the impact of the sounds uh, that are happening. But you know, I can't promise anything. Yeah. <laughs> so remember, guys, uh, you should uh, like, comment, subscribe all our <laughs> all our videos. <laughs> Make sure to comment on our next Instagram post, uh, baby female angel. <laughs> but anyway. So when we're uh, we get to the riverboat and then we are introduced to another group of adventurers, thrill seekers, and archaeologists that are also trying to find their way to Hominoptera, and they are a bunch of Americans, big dumb Americans. Oh yeah. So they're fucking sweet. Like honestly, I don't really remember their names because they're not really important. Like they are important to the plot, but honestly, they're mummy fodder. And <laughs> I love that we did we use dinosaur fodder in Jurassic World or something like when we did yeah. Jurassic Park. <laughs> like anytime there's people that you know are just there to get killed, they're pretty much fodder for us. Red shirts in Star Trek. Damn near. <laughs> so on a riverboat on a riverboat gambling I keep wanting to say riverboat gambling trip. <laughs> but on the riverboat scene, this leads us to our first exciting scene. Well, before I get too ahead of myself, uh, we have this fun scene where, um, I'm sorry, Rick, mm-hmm. where Rick finds his old buddy, Benny. So fun little factoid, a lot of Benny's lines, like his best lines in this movie are all very, uh, they're all, uh, improvised. He does, okay. he ad libs them. So like there's this part where in this scene on the river bar, uh, river boat scene, where Rick is like trying to like hassle him, and he's like, "Oh, remember when you left me to die?" And then he's like, "No, but we're friends, remember?" And he's like about to punch him in the face, and he goes, "No, no, no! Think about children." And apparently, they ad lib that interaction where he's like, "You don't have children." And he's like, "One day I might." And I'm like, "These are such cheesy fucking jokes, but god damn it, I'm here for them." Yeah. Okay. So this is like where, the, <laughs> I you know I. I I'm enjoying myself, but it's just, ah, man, something, it just, it's just not hitting my sweet spot right now. The, the, the jokes are a little too lame. I'm not as You cr- follow I'm not that the crazy. dad I'm not that on crazy. Facebook and Instagram, and you're telling me this doesn't do it for you. Well, it doesn't. Unfortunately. You have the most dad humor I know. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> All right, so we get through the riverboat scene where our heroes are attacked by the Magi. So at this point, no one knows who the Magi is, but they're these guys dressed in black, very much like the men on the horses on the ridge that watched O'Connell after the battle at Hamunaptra. Mm-hmm. So they end up you know, attacking the, the boat, and the boat ends up burning up. Everyone has to jump ship, 
and our big dumb Americans group go on one side of the river and our heroes go to the other. Essentially separating, however, they have to meet up eventually and, uh, you know, we get to this cool scene where, you know, they, they all meet up on this very barren wasteland looking desert in the middle of the, kind of like in the dawn morning. Dawn, so right before, uh, uh, what's it called, um, the sun rises, right? Uh, and then as the sun rises, suddenly everything reveals itself and they see Hominopter in the distance and then it's uh, it's just a race, mad dash to who can get to the city first. Yep. So this is the point where you where you pointed out, oh man, look at this beautiful set that they're on and on, not actually on location, right? <laughs> but to be fair, I mean, I'm going to dog this movie a little bit, but... This uh, this is way better than the shit we were watching in Exorcist 2. Oh, totally, totally. <laughs> Exorcist 2 is still, like, Star Wars nonsense. Oh, like, my God. It's still, like, all the worst parts of 77 Star Wars that you could think of in terms of set design compared to what we're seeing here now. Now, the reason why I don't dog and why I defend this scene is because it totally fits with the weird aesthetic they got going on with this movie. Since they're trying to do this modern, like, action-adventure type of movie... Like, it totally fits that they do something big, dumb, and goofy, like, do it in a set. I think I know know why it's not hitting my spot. And that's because I'm going to say something a little controversial here. I'm... Don't say anything about Indiana Jones. I'm not a huge Indiana Jones fan. I fucking hate you so much! (laughs) I know, like, I mean, I watch the movies and I like them. But it's not stuff I seek out. Oh my god. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna punch your face with my face. <laughs> <laughs> so, th- that's definitely where... But, 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 I, as seeing it as someone, you know, through my own eyes, I understand why you're enjoying this so much. <laughs> Even if I don't totally agree with it, and you're probably wrong. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna bullwhip you to death. <laughs> so... However, we really are about to enter, once we enter into, God, I don't want to butcher the name of it, Hominoptera? Hominoptera, yeah. Yeah, once we get here, I don't, this is where the movie actually starts picking it up for me, because this is where we're going to be introduced soon to the titular mummy coming back. So, everyone, both parties end up making it to Hamunatra and they try to find a dig site, right? And they have these weird interactions where, you know, some people claim a dig site, other people, um, you know, other people want, you know, they, they, they try to avoid some infighting between the Americans and the heroes, right? So what they end up doing is they give up a certain site where, I forgot who it was. I want to say it's like the statue of Horus or it's like an Egyptian god or like Anubis no, 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 it was Anubis. So they find the statue of Anubis, and they both try to claim it for themselves, right? So uh, the heroes end up deferring and letting our mummy fodder have their have their site. And they what they actually try to do is they go one level under so that they can try to break out the ceiling and, br- and take down whatever is under that statue. So during this time is when we start seeing the scarabs, and we can... You know, we kind of saw what the scarabs could do earlier, but now we get to see them, like, in action. So what ends up happening is one of the scarabs goes into the, 
uh, warden. Like it's uh, like the warden starts picking him off of a wall, like as he thinking they're a jewel or an artifact. The scarabs actually look dormant, so when they come back to life after he contacts them, they go into his body, like physically enter his body, and they start working their way up to his brain. He panics, he runs, and he ends Ugh. up running. Like head first right into a stone wall. Yeah, fuck. And Jesus, that looked gnarly. Like that did not look like a fun way to go. Yeah, the effects don't look great, but the stuff that's happening to people is fucking with me right now. And then later, what ends up happening on the American side of the dig site is that when they're trying to break open the uh, you know underside of the statue. One of the Egyptologists that's with the Americans realizes that it's booby-trapped. So he tells them, oh, let's let the workers handle it, right? So when they start breaking it open, it, it triggers a booby-trap that releases pressurized salt acid and just burns these guys alive. And they come out with these gross-looking boils. And then, you know... They, so right away, that you know... The city Hominoptera earns its name. People start dying rather quickly. But, you know, it's one of those things because of the fact that this is a PG-13 movie and it's a little bit more family-friendly, you don't really think about the terrible things going on. Um, but what ends up happening is the Americans at their dig site end up finding a magic book called The Book of the Dead. And meanwhile, our heroes end up stealing from under them a giant sarcophagus. Mm -hmm. And after they break it open, well, not break it open because they actually use Jonathan's key, they find a nice and gooey and kind of still decomposing Imhotep. And it is a very gnarly looking corpse. Uh, this is one of the first times little Javi freaked himself out and almost pooped himself. This doesn't gross me out yet, but it's going to gross me out soon. Once he actually starts coming back to life. Yep. So, oh, spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> so, some, um, so while at Halmanoptra, the Magi finally reveal themselves. So, they get into a, a fight with both dig teams. And in order to save everybody, O'Connell uh, uses a stick of dynamite to dissuade anyone from continuing fighting. And that's where we meet... Uh, Oded Fair's character, Arden Bay, I think is his name. I know you won't know. Uh, we'll go with Mr. Bay for now. <laughs> but pretty much he... You're my Bay. Yeah, I am. <laughs> Sexy bitch. <laughs> but, um, so pretty much... Ardith, yeah, it is Ardith. Ardith Bay is a member of the Magi who have sworn to protect Homunoptera, or more importantly, not protect Homunoptera, make sure whatever is hidden in Homunoptera is never released on the world. So they know uh, about this curse that's been put on this land, and that anything in there um, is essentially cursed with a never-ending life. And with a need to consume. And, you know, we start seeing that whether it's how the sand, you know, whether there's quicksand later in the movie or whether it's the, whether it's, um, what's it called? Um, whether it's the, the beetles consuming people and eating people or whether it's 
Imhotep literally absorbing people. Like, there's a weird, like, theme of creepiness around consumption here. Yeah, very, again, very Hellraiser for me. It's mm. the closest thing that I could really think of. And, and, when I, and when I think about that, having now seen that movie, and now, now having the knowledge that Clive Barker could have done this... God, do I wish we could get a Clive Barker version of this movie. Like, it would be really good. It would be... I'm starting to wish, too, like, the more we talk about this movie. Maybe not in this movie specifically, but if he were to reboot this movie for the fourth time, I think he can do a lot here, you know? Yeah, which, unfortunately, like, they, they, they end up rebooting this series again in 2017 with Tom Cruise, which I have not seen that movie. I have not seen but it. But I have not heard good things. I have zero intention of seeing it. It was supposed to kick off uh, Universal's Dark Universe, which was just supposed to be, like, a Marvel Universe of their old Monsters catalog. Because they brought back, uh, they, they had the origin story for Dracula, right? Like, they had that come out, like, a couple years ago, too. Like, two, three years ago. I don't know Maybe if that's further? canon or not, though. But I think the only one that was canon for now was the, the mummy. mummy, and then mm -hmm. it was going to be another version of Dracula, another version of Frankenstein. In the trailers look super weird for the Mummy, the remake. Like, where the girl looked kind of like Enchantress from Suicide Squad. Yeah. Like, I don't know what they <laughs> well, were Well, the other thing is, too, I also don't like the fact that, like, in, in, in this movie, the, the version of the Mummy that they have for this movie works perfectly for this movie, and that's mm -hmm. fine. What pisses me off about the 2017 remake is that it's like, God damn it, like you have a chance to actually make something that looks more like the classic mummy and you just fucking go in such a different direction that that movie feels like a, sh instead of feeling like a remake of the original one, it feels like a shitty ripoff of this movie. It does. It with, totally does. With Tom Cruise having replaced Brendan Fraser, which <sighs> I'm not crazy about. <laughs> And, it, you know, like, Tom Cruise is... A, I mean, Tom Cruise. Brendan <laughs> Fraser is a tall guy, and he's, like, actually physically imposing. Both of which Tom Cruise is not. <laughs> so, it's weird. He is the elfin teen Scientology guy. <laughs> it's true. He's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, later, in, later that night... Uh, Evie ends up stealing the Book of the Dead from the Egyptologist that's with the Americans. So as she opens it with O'Connell and starts explaining that, you know, the person that, the person that was buried with this must have committed a terrible sin. And they find out that the way Emotep died, there was a curse put on him. Like I was mentioning earlier, it's not just a curse on Hamunaptra, but him specifically. So she starts talking about how he he needs to restore himself and she starts reading from the incantation of the book and then what was it <clears throat> sorry so what ends up happening it, she reads the incantation and emotep comes to life <laughs> and he comes out like screaming and freaking you know freaking little javi out when he was nine yeah this is where he starts looking really creepy so and that's because i've got that God, I don't know if it's trypophobia or trypophobia, but it's that fear of holes, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, in in the human body and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like this, like vision of the mummy, especially before he fully, you know, what, when he's in the Frank from Hellraiser stage of himself. <laughs> like that is that is the 
that is the part that freaks me out the most because it's like God, you can just like stick your finger through the holes in his mouth, yeah. in his face, and it just like ugh, just like freaks me out just thinking. And about then he's it right got now. a hole in his skull where you know his brain's oh, supposed to be. Jesus. Like it is very eerie. Why is that so looking. horrifying? Like, I don't know. Because I, I at the one point I thought that was an actual fear of something, but then the but then I also read that like that's like. It's not a real phobia. It's just like something that people on the internet are freaked out by. It just makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, it just makes you super uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, do you remember that art exhibit that used to be like, uh, like bodies? And it's like, could they, they would bring cadavers around. Mm-hmm. And they would be in like different, like forms of play or dance or doing stuff. Like, that's how Emotep looks at this point, because he, you know, as, and as the movie progresses and as he becomes closer to, you know, getting his old body back, mm-hmm. you know, he, it, he doesn't, like, he's not a mummy. Like, I remember reading, there was an art, there, there was an article, it was like on the IMDb page, mm-hmm. where in spite of the movie's name, Emotep, the main villain, is not an actual mummy because he had a different type of death. His servants are all mummies. But he is not, and he, because of the curse that was put on him. Yeah, he seems more like a sorcerer somehow. Yeah, so he's he's actually more of a zombie. Yeah. And it's like, true. the more he consumes... And this is where the part of it where you're like, okay, well, I guess I can understand why George Romero was part of this at one point. Yeah. And, you know, as you get later on and they actually start fighting the other mummies, you're like, oh, this is totally, like, an adventure spin on a zombie movie, mm-hmm. right? So... The Americans, along with the Book of the Dead, find these canopic jars. And in Egyptian culture, when someone was buried, their organs were removed from their body and put in this jar so that when they made it to the afterlife, they can grab them and they can be judged and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. So every person that had a canopic jar is now a target for Emotep so he can get his body back. So, the first person he gets is Mr. Burns. <laughs> I, I, and, this is, and, and I'll be honest. So, the first half of the movie, I'm not crazy about. Not I just don't all. like where it's going. This part of the movie, this is where I'm in, actually. Because this is where it becomes a horror movie. Yeah, this yep. is where it becomes more of like, you know, the, the mummy is here now. Yep. Who's the guy that the movie's titled after. Uh, you know, he wants his, he wants to build himself back up and he's... He's got the stuff that he needs to get from every single person. So this is where it just lands for me now. Yeah. And I am very invested in what's happening at this point. And what's the first thing he gets after he attacks Mr. Burns? First thing this guy gets are his eyes and his tongue back. Ugh. So right off the bat, you don't, you're not like, oh man, how come he can't see? Or, oh man, how come he can talk all of a sudden? Because he took this guy's like life force. Yeah. And it's implied that with him specifically, he physically ripped those things oh, yeah. out of the yeah, guy's yeah. Absolutely, body. because then he, this guy's like covering his eyes and, and his mouth. I mean, and, and he just can't really talk anymore. Yeah. So. As opposed to every other American when he attacks them. Where he <laughs> Which just, just like, feels like he just shang sung their yeah. soul out of their body. <laughs> yeah. He sucks everyone else's soul because they belong to him. But this guy, Mr. Burns, probably gets it the worst. Uh, now I can't think of... I can't not I think can't of The think, Simpsons. Yeah, 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 that's all I want to think about is The Simpsons. So he probably gets it the worst out of everybody, and he's the first victim, you know, because he physically has his, like, sends, you know, his, his tongue and his eyes ripped out. I was saying boobers. <laughs> he wasn't saying shit after that. <laughs> so both... 
groups, both dig teams end up hightailing it out of there and end up going back to, I think it's Thebes? I don't think it's Cairo. I don't think they go back to Cairo. doesn't really matter. But they end up going back to civilization. Mm-hmm. So at this time, Emotep, uh, he's ready to attack Benny. And Benny has all these necklaces from different religions, which I thought this was a really cool detail they do. Right? It, gives you, it gives you an impression of the fact that you're dealing with an ancient evil. It gives you, it tells you a lot about both characters without actually doing much, you mm-hmm. know? And, you know, first he pulls out the cross, starts praying, doesn't do anything. He pulls out a, uh, like, a Buddhist thing, uh, nothing, right? And then there's another part where he pulls out the Star of David, and he starts speaking in Hebrew, which Emotep recognizes as the language of the slaves. Yep. So now we see that Emotep, even though he's a mummy, is actually a really smart guy, knowing that he can't communicate with these people. He knows Benny can and can help him maintain, you know, keep his uh, his cover, right? Mm-hmm. And allows him to kind of move in the world. And then, of course, something we already knew, not only that Benny was a coward, but also Benny's an opportunist. Yeah. So the moment that he gets to throw in and save himself, he does it. So back in Cairo, we learn that... I'm assuming it's Cairo. But <laughs> just because I don't know any other city in Egypt. We, we discover that along with Emotep, he brings back the ten plagues of Egypt. And the first one, if I remember correctly, is... I want to say they start tasting blood in the water. Yes. Yes. You know, and they're all like... When they're all going to... To the bar to get shots, right? Yeah, because they're all trying to get drunk. For, yeah. Because obviously, you raise a fucking undead like sorcerer, the first thing you should do is get shit blasted. Yeah, for the same reason why, you know, if you're trying to search for a demon, you go into a hotel room so you can synchronize with somebody. Ooh, we're gonna sink so hard. <laughs> I'm about to synchronize the shit out of you. So at this point, you know, Evelyn is complete. Like, she feels that they have a responsibility to be able to, to stop Emotep. Mm-hmm. Because they know he's bad news. Rick O'Connell just wants to leave. He's like, fuck this. Fuck mummies. Fuck magic. I These guys don't owe me anything, right? So they're trying to figure out... Um, they're trying to figure out a lot about how to fight emotep because at this point this guy has magic he can shape shift he can do all kinds of crazy shit he can control the sands themselves how do you even fight a guy like that right yeah man. for real it's, it's again it's, it's like he seems like a sorcerer and like a super villain all in one yeah. <laughs> so he works his way back to the city and his first victim is mr burns he ends up sucking him completely dry <laughs> phrasing <laughs> So he ends up killing him, and then this is where we start triggering, you know, this is the, if, if we were to put a counter on how many times Angel got triggered by his trichophobia, this would be number two. <laughs> yeah. I'm because just... he has a huge hole in his chest. Oh, God, yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it just, it fucking freaks me out, because it makes me think of, like, those, like, educational videos where you, like see like a clear version of a human being and you just imagine like pulsating organs in there yeah I, it, that's that's all i could think about even though you can't see anything other than the hole in his body 
It's just, God, I just, like, I fill in those holes with, like, all these disgusting things. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he kind of fills in the holes with disgusting things himself. <laughs> oh. yo. So, Emotep ends up eating the Egyptologist, and he eats, uh, I forgot what his name was. Uh, oh, Banner or something like that? Bannon? Uh, he eats one more guy. Steve Bannon. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, no. he, at this point, he... Which character are you talking about? It's the uh, the blonde shooter guy. Let me see. Mm. He looked kind of like Jamie Lannister. He was the second to last American to die. Was it Tick Watkins? Go back. No, Tuck Watkins was Mr. Burns. I think it might have been that guy. Mr. Henderson. Okay. Mr. Henderson. So after he eats Mr. Henderson, this is where he's almost human. Yes, but he's also still fucking frightening because, because he has a hole in his chest <laughs> and the fucking bug, like the beetle that was in the sarcophagus with him, one of those ends up crawling on his face and going inside the side of his cheek and he takes a fucking crunch out of it. <laughs> he just fucking eats it. It's, it's fucking like gross. <laughs> you know what it actually reminds me of? Like another thing that super freaks me out is like in Dark Knight when... Uh, when Aaron Eckhart is already, like, two-faced, like, you know, when Harvey Dent has become two-faced already, he goes to that bar, and then he, like, he takes goes the to shot. take a shot, and then the one, and then, like, the <sighs> shot just, like, it, God. That should just, hurt. That should fucking hurt, because it's, like, nothing there. You know what it actually reminded me of? Remember Ricardo Montalban in uh, Wrath of Khan, where he has the weird earwig thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, oh. that was fucking weird, man. <laughs> so... Emota, well, the entire time they're in Cairo, I mean, I could do a deep dive, like, really deep, but we don't want to, because no. um, the only thing you need to take away is when they're in Cairo is that people are dying, and you get to see the full extent of Emotep's power, because as his powers uh, get stronger, so do the same, um, the same, uh, what's it called, uh, the plagues of Egypt, mm -hmm. until... Finally, our heroes find their ways to, to the museum where they meet the curator and uh, Ardith Bay, and they reveal everything. And they reveal that um, that Emotep is evil. They reveal that they need the Book of Life. I think it's called the Book of Life? That's No, it's the Book of the Dead, right? Well, they have the Book of the Dead, but they had to go back and get the other book. Because oh. the only... So, so there's two books, the Book of the Dead, which was under Anubis, and then they had to go to get the Book of Life, which I'm assuming was, was under Horus. Sure. You're just going to agree. <laughs> yeah. Because <I'm just, laughs> I, I can't remember the second one. I just remember the Book of the Dead. Cause... So, yeah, the, because they were talking about how there's no weapon to kill death, only life can, right? Yeah. So they have to go back. And get this book of uh, book of life because it has the incantation to counter Emotep. And at this point, well, before I get ahead of myself, one thing I wanted to talk about is the creepy makeout session he has with Evie in the hotel room. Oh God, yeah. So after Angel had his, you know, maybe fourth on the uh, <laughs> trichophobia trigger counter, uh, Emotep turns into sand. Because why the fuck not? Yeah, sure. His powers are so, like, undefined what he can and can't do. Yeah. So he turns into sand, sneaks his way into Evie's room, and he starts kissing her. But when he kisses her, his mouth turns, like, decayed and all gross. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, when you were a kid and you would play, like, 
some like any kind of game with with a friend of yours, and you guys would be in like a fight. You know, you play like superhero and supervillain, and like every single time you were about to be defeated, you just make up a new superpower. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot you with my solar beams, and it's gonna be like, yeah, but I have night shield, which defends me from solar beams. And then you're gonna be like, I have something to counter. No, mine's better. <laughs> yeah. That's what Emotep feels like. It's like, oh wait, you have this? I can do this, but better. <laughs> so what ends up happening is after that weird, crazy makeout session where we find out not only is, does he have all this crazy power, Emotep's actually afraid of cats, which I thought was really weird, but really cool. Which I made the awesome joke at this point in the movie that she probably should have showed him that Pussycat. That's not what you said. You said it more vulgar. Shut up. Yeah, I said pussy. <laughs> Fucking <whatever>. pervert. Gross. <laughs> I'm disgusted. I I'm disgusted you. in myself. I hate me so much. <laughs> oh my god. So, at this point, Brendan Fraser, I'm sorry, Rick O'Connell, grabs a cat and is like, ha ha, and throws the cat. I wish. I wish he threw the cat at him. I would just, I swear to God, if I knew I could defeat a mummy by just, like, showing cats, I would turn into the old cat lady from The Simpsons. <laughs> and just chuck cats. <laughs> chuck cats at the mummy. <laughs> oh, my God. So, when they're at the, you know, back, back to what I was talking about, they're back at the museum at this point, we get the Plague of Boils. So, yeah. yeah. Again. There's a lot of body horror stuff. That yeah, <laughs> there is a lot of body. There's a surprising amount of body horror in this movie, and so every every person in Cairo that's not one of our main characters <laughs> develops these boils and come under the control of Emotep. So Emotep takes them to attack our heroes, and they have that funny scene where they like run through, all the way through the museum and they meet up with Jonathan in the outside when he's trying to bring the car around. It looks like they're about to kill him, and then he just starts chanting, Emotep. <laughs> and he, like, tricks them all into starting to, like, ignore him and just keep on marching. I was like, that's such a stupid gag. I love it. <laughs> so, they, so they end up piling all into this, like, old-timey bitchin' roadster, and they start driving their way through Cairo while being attacked with these people with boils, right? So eventually, the final American who had the canopic jar ends up getting jumped by these people, by uh, I don't know what to call them, these hordes, and end up uh, you know fighting him in the while Emotep catches him, and he ends up absorbing him and finally becoming complete, looking just like he did three thousand years before when he originally was killed. Mm. So he corners our heroes and. Forces them to pretty much hand over Evie. The reason why he wants Evie is, as we learned earlier, is he believes she is the reincarnation of Anaxuna Moon, which is his old, you know, diddling buddy. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think of... I was going to say friends with benefits, but I think he... They, nah, I mean, they were, they were pretty much doing it, like, on the regs. Like, they were, they, they were a thing. They were a couple. And so he believes that if he sacrifices Evie, he can bring back Anaxuna Moon. So they barter Evie for the life of the rest of our heroes because Evie said that, you know, she'll buy them time if she goes along with them. To which Emotep's like, fuck you, I'm gonna kill them anyway. Mm -hmm. So our heroes end up escaping after the curator sacrifices himself to buy them some more time and they escape through the sewers. 
they meet up with Winston, the World War One fighter pilot who just wants to die. <laughs> That's his entire story arc. They meet him earlier, and it turns out he's like a he's a fighter pilot from World War One. All his friends died in World War One, and he kind of like is jealous of them because he wanted to die a hero and he wanted to die in battle. This is a wonderful paints a wonderful portrait of uh, American soldiers. Surprisingly, it's very poetic given what we know now about post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> it's actually a very... This movie approaches it with the same kind of fucking tact that, like, you know, other movies that, that, that like, The Exorcist would deal with, like, mental health issues. Like, you know, this movie portrays... Yeah, it, it portrays army veterans or, you know, military veterans the way... Uh, the way Exorcist 2 did with autism. Or the way Halloween <laughs> did with psychologists, you know? Like, we watch a lot of movies that try to hit deep themes that are not close to what their ambitions are. But the worst part is when Winston, they play it up for laughs. They're like, they do this gag where he's like, and he goes, is it going to be dangerous? And they're like, you're probably not going to survive. And he's like, jolly good show. <laughs> I was like, what? So he ends up strapping everybody into the wings of his airplane. Because what better way to save your heroine or, you know, your damsel in distress than, like, putting everyone on a suicide mission. So they fly into Hamunaptra and Imhotep attacks them with the giant sand wall of his big dumb face. And as he tries to eat them, that's what it is! I know, but it just sounds hilarious. The sand wall of his big dumb face. So as he starts attacking them, Evie's able to save the group by kissing Emotep. However, the plane... The power of... Yeah, I mean... <laughs> not no, <quite>. not really. <laughs> she breaks Emotep's concentration and his big stupid wall face falls. And the plane ends up crashing. Our heroes land in quicksand. So even though Ardith... Uh, Rick and Jonathan are able to survive. Sadly, Winston dies and earns the hero's death he always wanted. And it's actually really sad because... Is it, though? A little bit. <laughs> kind of. Is it, though? No. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you can tell, like, Rick O'Connell feels for him. Yeah. So, that's why it's kind of sad. It was a chubby old guy. I didn't want him to die. <laughs> My body type isn't represented in Hollywood films. <laughs> That's true, I guess. <laughs> so, at this point is where it becomes a zombie-esque movie. Because Emotep ends up reviving all his old homies, who for yep. some reason are statues, even though they're mummies. Bah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah, whatever. They're, they're putties from Power Rangers, who cares? Essentially. So, <laughs> Emotep is trying to set up the... He's trying to set up... Uh, the reincarnation of Anoxin the Moon. He ends up getting her corpse and gets her canopic jars and he starts the uh and he start and he's he begins the ceremony. And all while our heroes Jonathan, Ardith, and Rick had to fight their way through all these zombies, make it to the statue of Horus, rip the book of life out, and at this point they're as they're getting overwhelmed, once again, another hero sacrifices himself. Ardith fights off the rest of the zombies. I mean, sorry, mummies. <laughs> And gives Rick and Jonathan the opening they need so that they can go into the ceremonial chamber and save Evie. So, right as Evie is about to be sacrificed by Emotep, 
Jonathan, with his big, dumb stupidness, <laughs> comes in. Evie, I got it! I got the book! <laughs> and my favorite thing is not breaking, like, her traditional character. Evie's like, Jonathan, you idiot! Read the book! <laughs> yeah. So uh, at this I, po- I, I, I chuckled, I guess. So, oh, shut <laughs> up! I'm still trying to be too cool. <laughs> so at this point, Imhotep tries to attack Jonathan, and Rick steals a sword from one of the statues and ends up fighting all these zombies. Very much like Ash from the Evil Dead. Like, I very much like Army of that. Darkness Ash. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. I, I, I thought about, I thought about uh, Army of Darkness actually... Several times watching this, right? Because this movie is it, it pulls from a lot of influences, and and they're not. It's not direct, but it's just like you just get like a sense memory that you've seen this before in something else, and that's very much this. The, his fights plus with the, mummies. the Book of the Dead, right? It's like I mean, who 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 doesn't think of the Necronomicon? Like, exactly. <laughs> like immediately, you should be thinking Necronomicon, right? Yeah. If you're like a horror nerd like us, but. And even just the fight, they have that campiness where he cuts, like, a mummy's head and the mummy's trying to catch his head as it's falling, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they do a lot of goofy things, including where, uh, as he's being choked by a zombie, Rick tries to reach for a sword, and he notices a hand, like, inching for the sword, and he ends up grabbing the hand, which grabs the sword, which he uses to kill another mummy. <laughs> and so they do a lot of goofy things. Eventually... Like, after fighting off Imhotep long enough, Jonathan is able to read an incantation which brings out these elite mummy soldiers, making Rick's life, like, ten times harder. However, he finishes the incantation and gains control of the mummy soldiers and ends up forcing them to kill the revived the Noxonomoon, who is trying to kill Evie at this point. Mm. So with Evie, fi- or with, uh, Evie out of imminent danger and with the Noxonomoon dead, Imhotep swear you know becomes furious and turns on rick o'connell he starts punching him throwing him all over the ceremonial chamber this is probably the scenes where you know why brendan fraser needed like a hip replacement and a knee replacement and shit like that because he throws himself a lot here and eventually evie grant you know she gets the book of life and she's able to read the final incantation which takes away uh emotep's immortality mm-hmm. and as you pointed out there was that super sick and sweet 1999 cgi where like a chariot comes and it just like takes the ghost of arnold <laughs> buzu into the ether <laughs> totally makes you think of like a shittier version of the ending of ghost oh my god it was so bad <laughs> it looks that, that oh my god that god. did not age well god i just want to watch ghost now <laughs> man do you want to recreate, or do you want to recreate the scene where they make clay, like a pot? What? I mean, good night. <laughs> so, they... <coughs> so, um, oh god, now you got me thinking about ghosts. <laughs> Welcome so... back to our review of ghosts. I know. Now we're saying, hey guys, uh, remember that classic with Brendan Fraser, Ghost? I mean, <laughs> so after Emo Tep's immortality is ripped from him uh you were thinking that that's gonna be what kills him right mm-hmm. it actually turns out rick kills emotep on accident because when emotep gets close he ends up stabbing him yeah and he said i thought that was supposed to kill him to which evie says no it makes him mortal 
So now he gets thrown back into this. I don't. It's well like, of souls. Yeah, <laughs> it was supposed to be water, but then it turned into like a weird soul fucking pool. Yeah, it looked like it looked like what water looks like in PlayStation One video games. Yeah, that's a. It <laughs> we was used very to have this joke like me and my cousins. We used to play uh, these games on PS One, and every time we would see that, we would just call it a blue rug. Yeah, that's what it looked like. It looked like a blue rug. So, Emotep falls back into the souls, decomposes, and turns back into a mummy. So, at this point, Benny... Ah, we forgot about our old friend, Benny. Ends up triggering a booby trap that seals all of Hamunaptra. And apparently, it happens to be the one booby trap that's going to sink the entire pyramid into the sands. Nice. So, our heroes have to escape. And destroys they, itself like the Cave of Wonders in Aladdin. Pretty much, yeah. That's actually exactly what happens. Because as the ceilings end up crushing you know, the mirrors and destroying all the lights that were in uh, the pyramid, uh, our heroes are able to escape, but unfortunately Benny is stuck in the middle. And I kind of... It, it, it's, you know, it's a lot to be said about Rick's character that after everything Benny's done to him, he's still willing and tries to save him. Like, he actively tries to save him. Yeah. Until the door closes on him and it almost takes his arm off. And then he even he even looks like he feels bad. And he's like, I'm, you know, bye, Benny. I was just like, aw. Like, he's actually trying to be a good hero, right? Uh, and what ends up happening to Benny is he probably has one of the worst deaths in, in the entire movie where he gets... Like he just gets ripped apart by the 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 rest of the scarabs that are yep. stuck in the pyramid. Yep. It was nice, quick. It was like the quickest fucking bug flesh eating I've ever seen in a movie. And the way it's done is really well. It's really cool because you know he's locked in this really like well lit room at first. The lights then get crushed, and the only source of light now is the torch, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like the torch starts going out because the air is going out. And you can just hear the the beetles get louder and louder and louder until finally they eat him. And then you just hear him his scream. I was like, that, that was really cool. It, cool. it was very well done. So they finally get outside. The, the, the pyramid sinks. And then our heroes won. Evie and Rick share a passionate kiss. Jonathan is stuck being third wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they end up discovering that Arden Fair did not... Or, or, Arden, Arden Bay did not actually die and actually made it out. And they, a la Billy in Jurassic Park 3. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> kind of like how Billy survived for some fucking reason. So they end up riding their horses and off into the sunset. However, we also get a little gleam on one of the saddlebags. And as it turns out, they stole the same horses Benny had been loading up to steal all the gold he had from the Pharaoh's tomb. How convenient. How convenient. <laughs> and that, you know, fades to black. And that is the ending of our film. So, I guess the only thing left to ask is... Uh, God, do I even need to ask this? Because it's pretty obvious. Fuck do no. you like this movie? Fuck yeah, I love this movie. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is great. It's fun. It's an action movie. It's an adventure movie. It has some. It's it's supposed to be a horror, but it's not really. Like it's a movie you can watch with kids. It's a movie you can watch with adults. You know, Brendan Fraser is great. I th- I feel like the acting campy at times, but it fits. It fits with the st- type of movie you're trying to make. It harks back to these old, like, old Hollywood, like, whether we're talking about the music or we're talking about the set piece or we're talking about, like, 
the the uh, the terrible stereotypes of colored people back then. <laughs> like it, you know. But all in all, it's a fun movie to watch. I mean, it spawned a franchise. And, and, you know, Steven Summer, he's not trying to, like, pretend he's making these, like, deep philosophical films. The next movie he makes after this is, I believe, I want to say it goes Van Helsing and then Mummy 2, but it might go Mummy 2 and then Van oh, Helsing. Oh, this is the guy who did Van Helsing? He did Van Helsing. He did The Mummy 2. I might be one of the few people that I know that actually likes Van Helsing. And I'm not a huge Van Helsing fan. But it could be that just, I don't know, like, I, I was like, oh, that movie kind of sucked balls. It makes sense. I, watching this movie, I would understand why they would ask him to make Van Helsing. Yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense. Okay, so, for me, despite the fact that I am not as gung-ho about it as you have been in this episode, I have to admit, I, I definitely enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. Um... The, again, it, it was a movie that was really hard for me to get into in the first part of it. But once we really do get, you know, Emotep, like, in the movie doing mummy shit. <laughs> Real mummy <laughs> shit. That's what I'm fucking here for. Yeah. And, uh, you know, again, like, I, Brendan Fraser, I actually do like him. Um, I've seen him in lots of stuff. Uh, Remember Monkey Bone? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know which movie I probably, like, associate him with the most? God, help me. Because no one else probably ever thinks about this. Bedazzled. No, 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 no. But he did that movie with Alicia Silverstone, Blast in the Past, where yeah. he like, lives in a bomb shelter his whole life. Because his family thinks that the Russians are dropping nuclear bombs. Yeah, yeah I remember so, that one. So, it's, it's you know, he's definitely a likable guy, and he always kind of plays the same character. And I'd, I'd say, yeah, it, Chris Pratt is probably the best comparative I could find in terms of a modern actor um, working in film now. Um, it's airheads. It doesn't, it, it doesn't hit all the spots that I wanted it to, but in terms of a remake to the mummy, which, you know, on the scale of how much, how protective I am of universal monster movies, the mummy is kind of down there. Mm -hmm. Um, the ones that I'm a little bit more protective of are, uh, what's it called? Dracula. It's probably second. Frankenstein is my first. Yeah, I was about to say, you're a huge Frankenstein Frankenstein fan. is my fucking jam. And, I, you know, so so I'm not I'm not too much of a stickler for it. Uh, it's I haven't watched the, the original Mummy for in a really long time. But there's actually, like, beats and characters of, uh, in that movie that are that are brought into this as well. And, mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's, it's a 90s update adaptation. And oh, we totally. did this a lot in the 90s where mm. we would bring like old series back and put a 90s spin on it. So, you know, it's it's it fits really well in the time. I I sure I have to recommend that you watch it. I'm never going to go watch the sequels again. I just don't have the interest to to dive back into the rest of the series. Yeah. But I do like that we picked this and we decided to watch it. We probably won't do the sequels because they're not nearly as... I, I'm not a huge fan of them as much as this first one. But yeah, you start noticing where they're like... You can tell the sequels are... They got a bigger budget. They can do more shit. There's a lot more CGI. Like, they throw out completely the... It can go one of two ways when you get a franchise that does that. It can go the way of X-Men, which gets better in that second chapter. Like, X2 is still one of the best movies for me oh, in that totally. franchise. 
And then you get last in. <laughs> yeah, so you know it's 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 a it's it can it can either go very well or very awfully. Mm. And you know, given the fact that I mean, sure, it spawned two sequels, and I'd say that the reason why the second one was because it was successful financially. Oh, the totally. Rock. The Rock yeah, is what what made that one successful, and then because uh, yeah. I mean, it spawned an entire side series of just the scorpion king there's like three scorpion <laughs> king movies god that's right and so the the side fucking movies have already caught up to the actual main canon story yeah. and you know but at that point if you want to watch mummy returns or mummy and the uh emperor or emperor dragon i forgot what it's mm-hmm. called the Tomb of the Emperor, I think is what it's called. Yeah, Tomb like of the those, Dragon Emperor. Those are total just, like, action-adventure films. Yeah. And if that's your jam, like, it's my jam. I think I would like it. I'd probably like it more than Angel does. But, yeah, like, this is the only one that actually had elements of horror. And I think that's what sets it apart from the rest of the series. Agreed. Uh, <laughs> so, we'd like to thank everybody for joining us for this episode of the show. Uh... You know, sorry for the one-week delay on this. There's just been a lot of stuff that has kept us from completing this episode. Um, Mostly baby female angel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we we really like appreciate everyone who's been downloading the show. Um, please continue to download the episodes of our show. Continue to leave us feedback in our iTunes feed. Um, download us on Spotify, Google Play. Um, you know, we, we are out here, uh, you know, now. So oh, please, yeah, we're, we're trying our best. So get please. in touch with us on Instagram. I'm actually working on getting us on Twitter. Uh, I've definitely started the Twitter page, but I'm not comfortable enough with it that I'm just going to start feeding it to everyone. Um, but you know, I'm I keep engaging with us on social media. Uh, please send us ideas for movies we want to do. Yeah, um, we've got something special coming up next week. And uh, I am very much looking forward to it. Um, mm-hmm. Thank you for everyone that is going to make next week super special. We hope you guys like it. Last time Angel and I tried something like this project, it was really good, and we both had a lot of fun, and we hope that everyone involved has as much fun too. Yeah. So uh, thanks for, uh, you know, thanks again for joining us, and uh, I guess this is Angel signing off. This is Javi. Later, turds. <laughs>